Welcome back to Drinks First. Uh, this is an incredibly weird time for everyone, but I am extremely excited to have Nikki Lewis from The Bevy. Um, and I just have a few questions to get to know you, and we will hop straight into kind of what The Bevy is about. Cool. So if you want to just let me know, where are you from originally, and where did you go to school? And where in New York City are you living now? Sure. Um, I grew up on the mean streets of Beverly Hills, California, uh, and then went to NYU for college. And I kind of got stuck in, in New York ever since. So I, I live in kind of the Chelsea Flatiron cusp uh, in my beautiful apartment that I love, but I am displaced for now, just um, decided to quarantine elsewhere and not be in the thick of things. Yeah, smart decision because I'm still in New York. So for (laughs) anybody who's listening, we are doing this remotely. Don't worry, no in-person contact happening here. So if that's why the audio sounds different, um, we're trying something new out. Got to adapt to the times. But if you if you feel comfortable, do you mind saying like how old you are and what uh, sure. sort of what you studied at NYU? Yes, I am uh, quite a bit older than most of your listeners. I'm 32, and I graduated from NYU in 2010. I um, I was a theater major actually at Tisch. Oh, uh, very cool. Yes, I moved to New York to be a Broadway star and quickly kind of decided that wasn't the path for me. Um, and yeah, and I got into rather quickly what I'm doing now. Yeah, so why don't you explain to everybody what exactly you are doing now? Yes. Um, well, I started kind of dabbling in fashion and through that world, I kept seeing these names tossed around um, when I was looking um, for careers. I was 22 at the time. And one of these fashionable it girls being thrown around was this name Greta Tuvisen. And I had seen that she had even posted a job listing through NYU. And I said, oh my gosh, I've seen this girl's name everywhere. What is this job? And it was so... um, it was almost blank. It just said, are you straight out of college? Do you know anything about public relations or what's your experience? What are you interested in? And I said, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go meet her because all I know is that I want to be just like her. So I did meet her and she told me kind of what her idea was. So it's really um, Greta. She's now my business partner. Um, You know, she had kind of seen the need for uh, a niche matchmaking service in New York. You know, this was 10 years ago that we met. And she'd really identified a need, um, especially with her single friends who were just having trouble meeting quality people. Um, You know, it's awkward to meet someone through her friend. Um, You don't want to let your friend down if there's no chemistry there. 
And then, you know, it gets tricky. Oh, you can't date this person because your friend dated him or you've heard the worst things about this person. Don't go and there. this was all pre-dating apps. Pre-dating apps. So there was even a need. And, and, you know, I think we were scared for a millisecond when the dating apps emerged. Uh, and that was probably around 2012, 2013. Uh, and we got even busier um, because I think, as we all know, and we like to call it the bevy, the apocalypse, um, I think <laughs> it just becomes kind of a numbers game and swiping becomes kind of just a futile action. There's, there's not really much in the way of success, um, now because you're not really sure what anyone's intentions are. Are they serious? How many other people are they dating on the side? And it can instill a lot of dating ADD or grass is greener complex. Um, so Greta and I have been doing it the old-fashioned way, which, um, no pun intended, face-to-face interaction <laughs> and date setups, um, which is kind of ironic because we're all under quarantine right now and that can't really happen. But um, our business has been thriving ever since, knock on wood. So we've been um, very successful in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. So the bevy was born basically right out when you got like when you left college. Was that yeah. when it started? I got really lucky um, that I just happened to meet Greta. Um, interestingly, she'd actually offered the job to someone already and rescinded that that oh, letter yeah. to that poor girl at, right after she met me. It was just instant chemistry. I think. You know, we always joke that we are the best match ever because where she excels, I don't, and vice versa. And we really complement each other nicely. And we've been very fortunate to um, – we've been business partners for as long as we have. So it's, it's very hard to find, and we know that. So. so can you give us some background on Greta? Greta is amazing, um, which I probably said a bajillion times. Um She's a little older than me, uh, and she really had this incredible career uh, in fashion, marketing, and branding. Um, LVMH, Ali Tahari, Andre Balaz, all the big names. She grew up um, in between New York and Miami, and she's one of those gorgeous girls who can't walk a one-block radius without running into five fabulous people she knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it doesn't even matter where she is, and she grew up um, – her dad um, works at Serafina, and so Greta kind of was would spend her days, her nights at Serafina. Um, she just she was always very social, and just mm-hmm. doing something like this um, just really came naturally. You know, in two thousand eight, when <laughs> there was an, another depression, kind of similar to what we're going through now. Um, a lot of fashion houses, you know, were kind of just going south. And so Greta had the foresight to kind of say, what could I do with my talents now? What's one thing that is recession proof? And she kind of came up with this idea, which really was brilliant because Greta and I joke, and and I certainly hope it's true, that love and matchmaking and the need for love and compatibility is priceless. So tell me a little bit about the Bevy's process. How does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, we've been so fortunate to um, 
rely heavily on excellent word of mouth. Um, you know, we associate with like-minded companies. Um, we're super involved with Soho House panels and um, Spring Place. Uh, we are Goop's resident matchmakers and relationship experts as well. Um, so we feel really lucky to kind of accrue a really solid membership just through our our social circles, which is really how this started. Anyone could meet Greta anywhere and say, oh my gosh, set me up with someone who's exactly like you. Uh, and that was the basis for this. So all of our clients, all of our members are started with friends of ours and it really grew from there. Um, every single woman in our membership, uh, we meet with personally or FaceTime with personally <laughs> as we kind of have to do now. Um, and we really get deep in there. We have 65 question questionnaire to follow up the in-person interview and mm -hmm. we're getting into it. We want to know how you grew up. Um, what do you do? What moves you? What is your idea of happiness? Tell us about a time when you failed and, and how did you overcome it? Um, those are, those are questions that we like because it really helps us to get to the meat of you. And the whole point of doing that is to really focus and take a deep dive into who a good match would be for you. Um, and I guess our, our method for matching is two, two parts intuition, one part science. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of it is listening to you. We're not in the, in the matchmaking industry to be your witchy mother-in-law and tell you who you should be with. We're actually listening to you and advising along the way and and seeing if we can do what you're telling us but if you're trying to ask us for a man who's you know six foot five and you know a pro athlete and blonde hair blue eyes we might say hey maybe let's get a little more realistic <laughs> um is six foot two okay <laughs> um, you know so, um, and the men who we, we take men on as our paying clients, uh, mm -hmm. women are complimentary. So we don't charge women. And that really gives us the ability to work with women who we just think are really fantastic, beautiful, smart, um, passionate about something uh -huh. and serious about a relationship. And the men, you know, this is a high end niche product. So it's not cheap. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so that's one way to get your foot into the door. But also the men need to be people who mirror Greta would date. Would our friends date them? Would we invite them to our home for dinner? And most of the time, we have mutual connections and mutual friends with these men. So these aren't really mm -hmm. random people from off the street. Um, what's also unique about us is we cap our clientship at around 30 male clients nationwide. So it's a really small pool of the most eligible bachelors in the country. Um, so of course, uh, women are very keen to meet these men and, you know, they're all attractive and fit and, you know, our criteria list is, is pretty out there. So. Yeah. So I've taken a look at your questionnaire and I'm not going to give any of your uh, secrets away. Mm. But it is incredibly in-depth. And you're asking everything from 
both questions about physical experience, physical appearance to personal experiences. And like you said, the way you grow up, where you went to school and even deeper questions than things like that. So that questionnaire, did you guys come up with it from the beginning or was it a process? Do you keep adding to it? It's, it's constantly being modified. Um, We came up with the, the first rendition, I think, in 2010. Uh, and we just kept adding and subtracting. Um, you know, we put in a lot of that Proust questionnaire in there because it gives us kind of a mental picture of someone. Um, you know, are they a glass half full person? Are they more of a pessimistic person? These are actually important tools for us. Um, and of course we need a paper trail of remembering, you know, how, how you like to spend your time, what activities you like to do, where have you traveled, how many countries have you been to and why, how many languages do you speak? It just gives us a richer and deeper understanding of the person who we're working with. Mm -hmm. And you said that everything with the bevy is word of mouth and you've partnered with a lot of great uh, organizations across the cities, a lot of great companies, Soho House, Goop, etc. Um, do you find that because of this, maybe you don't get an incredibly diverse range of people, or is that definitely not the case? I that's actually a really good question. Um, you know, I think even within the name, the bevy uh, kind of means a like-minded group of people. Um, I would say that most of our membership tends to be um, supremely worldly and sophisticated, Um, really just that city mentality. And it's not meant to be um, by any means um, a condescending look, but we're not, we're, we're working with people who who know a lot, people who are really smart and remarkable, which is really, you know, a lot of what you find in New York or LA or really any big city. Um, It's just kind of a diverse understanding, but we have men and women of all backgrounds, of all ages, um, of all religions, ethnicities. Um, We have people who grew up with nothing to people who grew up with everything. Um, so, you know, in that regard, we really do work with everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. but we really find common connection in people who are really curious, um, people who are always eager to learn more about the world and more about others. And I would say that that passion about, um, learning more and being the best that you can be is something that our membership has in common across the board. Mm Mm-hmm. And do you feel like it's possible you may be missing out on like a group of people like that um, beyond just the companies that you're already partnering with? Oh my gosh, of course. I mean, I think it would be, you know, as a business person, I think it's, it's better to really find where your strengths lie. And I feel if we try to diversify too much and really try to curate an experience for everyone, Um, we probably, we wouldn't be doing as good a job as we do. So I think Mm -hmm. by keeping it such a niche specific, uh, and curated experience, 
um, you know, our members are really getting everything and more than they ever could have dreamed of. And, and I think if we tried to extend ourselves too far, we probably wouldn't be as good at it as we are. So I think I read somewhere that your success rate is 95%. Yes. How do you do that? And what does success mean to you guys? Sure. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to measure success in something like matchmaking. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's also the 21st century. Not everyone considers marriage um, to be the ultimate definition of success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have clients who've been married several times and aren't necessarily looking to be married again, but they're looking for that long-term partnership. Um you know, we have people who might not be interested in having kids or or getting married, but they're interested in being in a serious relationship. Mm-hmm. I would say the 95% accounts for, you know, all of our members and clients who've gotten married, um, who have been dating for a long time, or you know what, it didn't last, but it was so good while it lasted. Uh, you know, we are not puppeteers and our members aren't our marionettes. So we can't really predict the longevity of a relationship. But uh, most of our clients have gotten into significant relationships that meant something to them for a significant period of time. And so that's how we measure our success. Mm -hmm. So how do you like go more into the nitty gritty process of the bevy. So what happens like when you get a client to their first date? Sure. Um, So a client who's typically going to be a man um, will tell us what he's looking for and we'll really take a deep dive. We'll ask him about his past relationships. What was it about those relationships that didn't work out? Um, and depending on the man, some of them have done a lot of this kind of work on themselves to really know exactly what they're looking for. And some of them are younger and newer at this and, and they can kind of give us an idea of what they don't like, uh, which is actually remarkably helpful because, you know, we can kind of start for lack of a better term, manufacturing their perfect person. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really what we do is we kind of listen to them. We offer our guidance along the way, but we never want to be in the practice of telling you that you're wrong or that your truth is incorrect. Um, we're mm-hmm. here to listen and to do our best. And if what you're asking for simply doesn't exist, then we probably won't be able to work with you. So there needs to be some sense of, of realistic expectations in there. Yeah. So what's like the, you, you said that there's, 30 open spots, right? For men at any given time. So what more or less, Mm -hmm. how do you choose who to reject? You know, I I think it really comes down to, are you a good person? Um, Which sounds so basic. um, And it's not a quality that some people have. Some people just are not good people. So for us, that's a non-negotiable. And, you know, in our decade of doing this, we've certainly worked with not nice people um, Mm -hmm. who think that they can act however they want because of who they are. Um, And we have represented, you know, a lot of uh, high profile clients and we still do, but as long as you're a good person and you treat, treat us with respect and you treat your date with respect, then you'll succeed with us. Um, 
But yes, if you have like a laundry list of 30 non-negotiables, we'll probably have to start with, you know, give us the top five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What What's the most common thing you hear from men that like what they're looking for? It's, you know what? It's impossible to say. I would mm-hmm. say that men tend to be superficial creatures. Um, so they, they like to start with there because it's easier. Um, but then there's so many things that are so important to them. Um, you know, what is her family dynamic? How did she grow up? Um, is she educated? Is she gainfully employed? Um, she doesn't need to be the most successful person in the world, but what's she passionate about? What, what moves her? These are questions you get from men often. Yes. Yeah. We've had some interesting people who, um, you know, decide to classify themselves with the number. They say, I'm like a good seven. So I want to be with a good, you know, eight, nine or 10. And I said, what are you talking about? What is that? What does that even mean? We're talking about people here, humans. Um, so no, that's, you know, the way that you look is, is only part of the equation. We're really wanting to know the meat of the person and what makes them them. Yeah, also statistically, um, most people put themselves at a seven. That is a true fact. Wow. (laughs) But so this is one question I ask everybody usually um, at the beginning. Uh But one, I'm interested to know what your favorite date spots in New York City are. So Mm -hmm. restaurants, bars, nightlife. Um, And if those correlate with the places you recommend for your clients. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a fan of sending dates to the newest, hottest restaurant. That's five people deep at the bar. It's a Mm -hmm. recipe for disaster. So some favorites of mine where I think you can have a good conversation, um, not feel like you need to have a full course meal when it's a first date, but you want to snack at the bar. I think Bar Sardine um, in the West Village is a perfect place for that. Um, If you want to go a little more casual, even Fairfax across the street. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're having fun, there's so many places around there that you can go. Um, I love um, the basement at Bond Street. I've been going there for years. I think it's quiet. It's trendy. It's cool. The food is delicious. And it's a little more of a lounge atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to sound super old school. But the cocktails are delicious at Peggy Club. Oh my gosh. Always yes. Loved it there. Mm-hmm. I still think it is such a great spot. And obviously if you have pull at Carbone, no one's going to tell you. Don't go there. No one's going to tell you not to go there. Um, Gosh, this is such a hard question because... I know. It's like the flavor of the month. I know. There's so many... Restoration Hardware doesn't have their liquor license. It's only wine. So you Mm -hmm. might be disappointed when you get up there. Um, And Soho House is obviously... Great, but if you if you're like me and you spend your day working there, the last thing you want to do is is stick around. Um, I don't know what else. Gemma, I've always been a fan of, not because it's the best food, but just because like I've been going there since the beginning of time. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not really about the food. It's just more of a memory of what New York is to me. And, and it's always easy to find a place at the bar. So I always say, like, don't go somewhere where you're going to be stressed out that you won't be able to find a table. But going to a place like Joseph Leonard that's warmer, that's cozy, um, where you kind of know your bartender is always just going to be a better setup. Mm-hmm. And those are some really great bar recommendations. I feel like more often than not, like people in my age group don't necessarily know where to look for those things. What? Um, if you're not from New York City. The travesty. I know. Um, but I mean, a lot of people in their, you know, early 20s love the, focusing on nightlife. Like we talk a lot about where people are going out nowadays. Um, where are people going? Gospel. No, not even. <laughs> Where, but I, I so tell me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm engaged, so I, I don't really go out. But I know that Acme used to be my dating app. I feel like Acme for most people who are in their like early thirties, late twenties, that's like the place to go. Yeah, you're trying to meet people kind of around your age, and there's a there's like a certain kind of person who goes to Acme. Um, I think. Maybe the Acme for our age is Paul's Baby Grand. I love Paul's Paul's Baby Baby Grand. Yeah, I think it's versatile for a lot of people. Um, But again, it really, really draws a specific kind of person. And the blonde. Um, The blonde is cool. Yeah, the blonde is also cool. Um, There's this place called Lola. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm -mm. It's in the East Village. It opened up last year and that's become like the hot spot. Um, it call it's like more less so of the like old like New Yorkers who who, less of the New Yorker that goes to Paul's more of the New Yorker that is like uh kind of into Brooklyn scene but wants to stay in Manhattan (laughs) (laughs) that's like definitely um one of the places that people really like to go out um the scene has shifted like so much because I used to be out every single night of the week and, and every single place is totally different now. So The scene shifts like every two months. Like when, there was actually a place that opened up called The Dance and it was right near NYU. Uh-huh. Um, it was open for two months. It was like the place to go and it got shut down. Jeez. Tough so, gig. Yeah, I know. There are places that I think withstand the test of time. Um, Acme, I think, is one of them, especially for uh, like not maybe not necessarily my demographic, but a few years older. For mine, um, I think it's it's all my friends will still go to Acme. We'll still yeah. go to Paul's Baby Grand, and we'll go to the Blonde. Yeah, sometimes the rooftop of the Thompson Hotel. Oh, interesting. Actually, um, it's really nice in the summer, but again, that's kind of my age group, so I yeah, I don't know. I think there's definitely overlap when it comes to Paul's, like both Baby Grand and Casablanca. People my age oh, right. and older go there. Uh-huh. Uh, Casablanca less so, but definitely, I don't know. Things are always shifting in terms of nightlife. <laughs> um, and I, I heard that nightlife is probably not going to be coming back until 2021. What? Who's saying that? It's like, I heard that they're going to phase back all of the like, all different industries and the ones that are least necessary are going to be phased back in the latest. So 
How will people meet each other to date? Everyone's going to have to call me for setups. I know. (laughs) God's work I'm doing, Ariana. (laughs) So how, like, have you seen, you said you've seen a boost in your business since dating apps, right? Absolutely. Yeah, tell me a bit about that. Well, I mean, and, uh, you know, you would, probably know all about this just with everyone you've been talking to um, through your podcast is that it's just a lot and you can meet someone who seems fantastic. There's no shortage of quality people on apps. That's not the problem. It's that are these people looking for a serious committed relationship? Are they being honest with you? Are they wasting your time? Um, which is not to say that plenty of people haven't gotten into serious relationships and or gotten married from apps, of course. But I Mm -hmm. think it's just a little more diluted now and and it's hard and time-consuming to kind of flip through. And then I always say, gosh, would I have swiped right on my fiancé? Hope he's not listening. Um, (laughs) You know, because a picture can only tell you so much. Would he have swiped right on me? You Mm -hmm. just... You just don't know because a picture doesn't really – I, A, don't photograph well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure he does either. But, you know, <laughs> you need to give someone a chance in person and you don't really get that. Um, I also truly believe that in the age of Instagram, photos are just becoming more retouched and more fake. Oh, for sure. And people are judging people based off of their life experiences. Like, oh, that doesn't look like a five-star hotel oh, they don't have a photo with a tiger. I don't want to date this person. <laughs> have you seen Tiger King? Of course. Oh my gosh. What else? That literally I... blew my mind. <laughs> it just gets better and better because it's so weird. Um, but yeah, I just think there's like a sense of snobbery. I think one of the things that I loved most about my fiance when we were dating is that he wasn't big into Instagram. Like a guy who's constantly updating his Instagram just like kind of isn't hot to me, but I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so how did you and your fiance meet? Um, we met at Acme. No, we didn't. <laughs> we actually, we, we met around the corner at the Wren. Um, I, I, one of my favorite spots was the Wren, um, you know, when I was young and single and, and it was no different that night. I was, I was catching up with my friend Mark for happy hour and uh, an exceptionally tall person walked in, and I said, that person's very tall. My friend Mark said, oh, I know that guy. And uh, lo and behold, conversation ensued, and yes, my fiancé is six foot eight. <laughs> wow, six foot eight. Yes. It's true. I mean, that is definitely one way to get attention at a bar. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's sensitive to it because it's, he'll get stopped about it most days of the week. Um, but we actually had other things to talk about other than his height. So, um, yeah. So, you know what? We met at the Wren and (laughs) the Wren is a great place. I love it there. Maybe I should change my podcast name to we met at the Wren. You know what? I think you should and give me all the credit. (laughs) So, how did you guys progress your relationship? Because I think a lot of people meet people at bars, but they don't know how to take that next step. Sure. I mean, my boyfriend, or no, my fiance, 
as he now is, um, admitted that he was on one of the dating apps, I think, when we met. And he said it was, you know, the, the app tries to solve for the right thing. But it, it always got me kind of close, but not quite close enough. And mm-hmm. he knew that when he met me and we kept dating, um, that I, he claims that I really kind of met and exceeded those expectations that he had in a partner. Um, And I would say that he did those for me. It was a slower burn for me. I think he knew immediately and I I thought he was nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's kind of what it is. I think men tend to know really quickly and women really kind of want to learn more. But what I'd say I appreciated about him was that he wasn't selfish. He was always so interested in learning about me and asked so many questions. And I can say that with full certainty, after dating every single douchebag in New York City, I thought that it was a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. He really, he wasn't talking to listen to himself talk. He was just kind and observant and thoughtful. And those were all things that really worked for me. So here we are, hoping to get here, but we'll see. (laughs) I mean, well, congrats on your engagement. And I definitely think that's such a key red flag. And I tell this to a lot of my friends is that if they're not asking questions about you, then it should be an immediate turnoff. Because that is such a clear indication of somebody not being, you know, interested in what you have to say and what you have to offer. Um, Exactly. It's 50-50. You should be doing 50% of the talking and Mm -hmm. 50% of the listening. Yeah. So what other tips can you give our listeners for first dates? Like what do you tell your male clients before they go on a first date? I tell everyone go home after work and get out of work mode. No one cares about your crazy day or the deal that fell through. Like everyone had a crazy day. Everyone had a deal that fell through. No one cares. So go home, get out of work mode, change, look good. Like I say it like, unless you look remarkably good in a suit, I tell guys to, no, put on a pair of dark jeans, put on a nice clean shirt, no pit stains. Um, And for women, I always say like, feel really confident. Wear something that you feel really good in. Um, not too sexy and not too unsexy, like find a good medium, decide which piece you're showcasing that night. If you're showing your legs, don't show your boobs too. It's, it's either or. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always think a little heel just so you feel confident and like you're standing tall. It's all about how you feel on the inside. Mm Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the uh, paying etiquette? Who pays on the first date? Oh, boy. The question <laughs> of the century. The biggest debate. Um, I, I call me old-fashioned. I think that on a first date, it's really nice to feel like the man is paying for the pleasure of your company. Mm-hmm. Um, a man who gets up when you go to the bathroom doesn't even exist anymore. But men, get into the habit and like get into the habit, get into the habit of, of holding doors for us um, or walking on the near side of the street. These are things that have seldom happened to me. My fiance doesn't do a lot of them, but I'm warning you men, 
do them and you will secure a second date. No problem. And I think for a woman, it's always nice to offer to pay. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, second date or third date, then you can, you know, start splitting or or whatever you kind of think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I fully agree with you, but I totally get where you're coming from. I think that like personally, I think whoever invited the person on the date should be the one paying or should, should offer to pay. But, you know, more often than not, sometimes that is the man totally in, a, like, in a heterosexual relationship. But I definitely do think that like chivalry is so important and is so something that's not done that often anymore. So the holding the door, the taking out the seat, the later on, you know, buying flowers, those aren't things that a lot of like my friends even who have been in relationships experience. So that's a really good advice to give people who you know are starting to date and you know want to could, her it could second feel date. weird at first because people are so out of practice and don't do it anymore but I just think it would be really special just to kind of it might seem antiquated but I just think you know set yourself up for success wear that pretty dress hold that door open just you know, take it seriously because it could it could be the most important audition of your whole life. What is like the number one complaint you get from men after a first date? Like a complaint about their date? Mm-hmm. So maybe like a pet peeve, things that irk them. Mm. I wouldn't say, you know, it's always the person was great. I actually really enjoyed their company. They were fantastic, but the chemistry just wasn't there for me. Or she talked a lot about her ex-boyfriend. That's one thing not to do mm. on a first date. Um, so when I, if I ever receive feedback like that, then that's a sure sign to kind of let them know, hey, no more discussion about the ex. Leave it to one sentence. It was great. We were together for a couple of years. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all that needs to be said. <laughs> and what do you think about ghosting culture nowadays? Oh, gosh. I mean, you would know more about it than I do, but I certainly experienced it. Um, I think it it is so mature and so big of someone. Just in, It could even be in a text just to say, hey, you're a great person. I think we're we're in two different places or, you know, I'm not sure that I feel the romantic chemistry with you, but I totally wish you all the best. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is such a better move than totally disappearing. Yeah. Nicer. Do you agree? I 150% agree. I think that at this point we're all adults and you should be able to have a simple conversation or send a nice text to completely ghost it's like an immature move I think so immature it's like grow a pair and just do it yeah and on both the men and women's side if women if you didn't have a good time you should let that person know absolutely let them know nicely for both parties absolutely and you never know when you're going to encounter somebody again so it's always good to be you know cordial nice kind That is so important, I think. It's a small city. Everyone knows everybody. So Mm -hmm. always, you know, carry yourself with a level of 
of sophistication and know that like words are going to spread if you're not acting in a mature manner people are going to know mm-hmm, for sure so I got a few questions from listeners who uh you know they have a lot of a lot of questions so I would love to start asking you some of them sure First one is, are types real and how do you overcome them? Types are very, very real. Um, You know, I think that it can happen when you fall in love with someone who's a certain way and you almost try to recreate that. So unfortunately, Mm. I do have a lot of clients who have been trying, who have tried to do that. Um, And as much as you can try to steer someone away, ultimately, you know, that's, the person's choice Um, but I've been really happy to see people fall out of that um, pattern a lot of it with the help of us saying hey you know what she's not blonde give me a chance here to show you what I'm made out of and lo and behold they're like oh my gosh just say just saying yes and being open-minded to going on that date and it could be something as trivial as blonde or brunette Mm -hmm. or I typically date you know this height you know, people are picky, but I, I, yes, I think that, um, people do fantasize about a specific type and I think it's absolutely possible to wind up with someone who doesn't fit that mold. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. As long as you're open-minded and open-hearted. I, I completely agree. I think people now it, it has been incredibly amplified by dating app culture mm-hmm. because you can get on your settings and modify exactly what you want to see right. within a five mile radius of you. So you don't know if, okay, well, if you're on a dating app, if you put your radius to six miles, what you could be missing out on, you know, something as trivial as that. Exactly. Exactly. So I'd say like, get out of your own way and, and really just, Try to be a yes person. Now more than ever, especially when we get out of this quarantine, don't limit yourself. Don't lock yourself up to one type of person. Like, oh, I've never dated someone who was this color or this religion. Or the the best matches are, are with people who you differ from. Mm-hmm. How do you complement each other? What can you learn from each other and how can you grow together? Don't try to date someone who's exactly like you. That's boring. Mm-hmm. I think what you said was super interesting about trying to recreate what you maybe have experienced in the past. Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about it that way before. So I think that's really, really good advice. But if you have experienced love before and you've been in a situation or you've been in a relationship um, and you get married to the feeling of what that person gave you, you might be trying to recreate that physically. And Um, sometimes that feeling is anguish and you don't realize it. So mm -hmm. stop trying to recreate something. Stop trying to recreate a feeling because it didn't work out and there's a reason it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, So stop chasing a feeling that you deem to be a good feeling because sometimes it was a toxic thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, take away from it what you will, learn from it, and don't try to recreate the same thing. Make better decisions. Yeah. So the next two questions are kind of in the same vein. And it was, how do I get a boyfriend in New York City? (laughs) And 
the other one was how to find someone not on dating sites. And I think that is extremely potent for people who are sort of my age, because I, if you've listened to my podcast before, I sound like a broken record, but I personally have been on dating apps my entire adult slash teen life. Wow. Like I've had a Tinder since it was like, what, 2013? Wait, how old were you? I, so ten, you could have a Tinder if you were under 18. What? It would just show you people who are under 18. So right. I grew up in New York City and having Tinder when you're 16 and you're matching, you, you basically get matched to people that you see in your like social circles. Like, oh, this person goes to my brother's school or this person is like lives like is a friend of a friend or something. So if, if you grew up in New York City, wow. that was sort of what the Tinder experience was like when we were younger. And it was also completely a joke. Nobody took it seriously. Um, but that has, dating apps have existed for all of my high school, pretty much all of my high school life and all of my college life. Wow. So, and now into my adult life. And people are turning to Hinge, Bumble, um, so I think one maybe that correlates more directly to what you guys do is Raya. Um, but I th- think people have no idea at this point how to navigate dating without being online. It's crazy to me because, you know, you can't rely and you can't hide behind your phone. That's not real life. I think that it's going to sound so remarkably ageist I think that your demographic and like your age group really relies on being alone and being kind of set in your ways earlier than in, than you know even my generation and I, I'm a I'm a millennial but you know I I didn't start we didn't have apps until like I was 21 22 so mm-hmm. um I think it's so important to get out of your comfort zone, get away from behind your phone, especially when this is over. Um, Don't care. Don't text when you're at a bar or talking to people. It's rude. You're not present and people aren't going to want to come up to you and talk to you because you're more interested in whatever's not around you. It's rude. So get off your phone. That is the number one piece of advice that I could give you, it will open your eyes to people who are actually looking at what's around them. And maybe you can even strike up a conversation with a real person in person (laughs) by just going out, start, you know, especially when things get better, um, look into some charitable causes. You might meet someone doing something that makes you feel good um, with people who you wouldn't be surrounded by at Paul's baby grand. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just try to expand your social network as much as you can um, in real time and not, not behind your phone. Yeah, and I definitely think people now more than ever are going to feel that once this quarantine is over. I definitely think there's just a huge craving for, you know, emotional, physical connections. So really? who knows, though, maybe there will be some sort of sex dating revolution that happens after all of this is over. A baby like, boom. Mm-hmm. I actually I do polls on my uh, Instagram. I saw. And 
there, one of the questions was, do you think that nine months from now, so in quarantine or nine months after quarantine is going to be a baby boom? And most people said, yeah, most people said nine months after. Totally. But now more than ever, people I think are dying to connect with other people and strangers even. So, I mean, I've talked to friends and I've also, um, tried alternative methods of dating just you know field research and (laughs) it's been incredibly interesting um all of the dating apps are now shifting to video platforms there is online speed dating there is like uh we met at acme the podcast she's doing matchmaking now so yes yes she's having people uh DM her and she's been matching people up on Zoom dates. Oh my gosh. And that's such a great idea. And we've been doing that as well mm-hmm. um, to people who are open-minded. But I also think, you know, a lot of people just, they're not really in the mindset right now because there's no clear end in sight that they just feel like it's an exercise in futility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate it as best we can. Um, but we definitely have clients who are still FaceTime dating and we're introducing them. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's a cool way to hear about dealing with it. Yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. A lot of people have also been feeling that sort of, you know, what's the point that hopelessness until it gets to be, um, in real life, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see how people start reacting and how people start changing the way that they date, um, post post quarantine um there was another question that said i'm old and i think by old this person probably meant 30s <laughs> um my age I'm, yeah so not old um how do i find a husband when everyone is already married um that's a question that i get a lot and it's it's the same everything is the only person standing in their way of happiness is, is yourself um, for multitude of reasons. Um, I always say, like, take that second date. Um, like, it's just not realistic to think that it's going to be raining and you're going to make out in the rain and it's going to be seen out of the notebook. That's not real life. So just be a yes person. Go on that second date. Maybe you're not even sure. Like, stick it out so that you really can feel good about your decision and don't base a relationship off of, like, one date unless it was really bad. Mm-hmm. It's that I think people are a little too quick to judge and um, they're just not giving someone, like, a chance. Give someone a chance. So on the flip side, somebody asked, is it natural for you to get bored of someone after a few years of dating? And how do you find someone that will constantly excite you? I think that goes along with my point of, of not picking someone who's exactly like you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like it's a sense of comfort to meet someone who has so many things in common with you. And like, of course you want those commonalities and things that you enjoy doing together, but you also want to learn something from that person. And that keeps things exciting. Um, so I, I would say that like most relationships will kind of plateau or feel stale and it takes work to get, Mm -hmm. get that back in. So I think it's a little selfish to just 
not take responsibility and just to say, I'm bored. I'm going to leave this person. Like, no, relationships take work. So why don't you guys figure out together how you can spice things up? What can, what's a new hobby you guys can enjoy together? Um, what can you learn? Where can you travel? Um, just to keep things spicy and exciting. Like every relationship needs to do that. Just ask your parents and your grandparents. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with, you know, this, the younger generation is you expect everything to be handed to you on a silver platter and you don't want to work towards anything. That makes me sound really old. <laughs> no, I think it's great to hear from somebody who has a different perspective because more often than not, like that's the only way we learn, you know, learn from your elders. <laughs> you learn from anybody who has a different uh, outlook than you do. And I think that's true in every regard. Um, So this, these questions are more geared towards what you do. So what's the average profession of the men you work with? It's New York. So, you know, really just kind of white collar professionals. Um, We have a lot of tech entrepreneurs, um, lawyers, finance is probably the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, just because this is an expensive niche service, we don't have too many struggling musicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for the women, really anything goes. And do you have any experience working with LGBTQ people? And if so, what's the process like? So unfortunately, we haven't delved into that field yet, which I know is remarkable because I was a theater major. Um, but we haven't gone there yet. And I think it's because I don't claim to be an expert in that because I myself am not, um, gay. So I don't know. Um, so I, I would, I, we are most certainly looking to hire someone who we think has a really good grasp on that community in the future when we can, um, accommodate that group of people. Cause I think it's so important and so necessary um, we're just, you know, kind of working on what we know best for now and, and certainly hope to expand. Mm-hmm. So we're getting close to the end of our time and I want to go ahead and we do something called shots here on drinks first oh, where I ask rapid fire questions. Um, they're just this or that questions and you just give me your answer. First thing that you think of. Oh gosh. Okay. Don't worry. They're not bad. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to do some shots? I am ready. Let's drink up. All right. Phone call or text message? Text. Big party or small gathering? Small gathering. iPhone or Android? iPhone. I know. (laughs) Vodka or tequila? Tequila. Morning or night? Night. Zoom or FaceTime? FaceTime. Money or fame? Money. (laughs) Coffee or drinks date? Drinks, always. Drinks first. Um, (laughs) And if you had a boat, what would you name it? The Lillian Bella, (laughs) after my mom. Aw, that's so sweet. (laughs) Okay, so I want to give you this time if – you want to let us know where people can find the bevy 
Um, if they're interested in finding out more information on how to join, is that a possibility? Absolutely. Um, if you ever feel alone in this crazy dating world, that is why I created this company. Um, if you've heard this podcast and you like what you hear and you want to learn more, go to the-bevy.com. Um, you can also check out our Instagram is wearethebevy.com. My personal Instagram is something Nikki. Um, and please feel free to reach out on any portal, the contact page of our website, um, to Instagram, to whatever. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for taking this time and going through all these technical difficulties with me. Thank you, Ariana. I so appreciate it. I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. All right. If you enjoyed that episode, please follow and rate review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can find Drinks First on Instagram at drinks.first and on TikTok at drinksfirst. And if you want to hit me up, you can do so on Instagram at ariananathani28 uh, and on TikTok at ariananathani. And you can email us at drinksfirstpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You just bought a home in the suburbs, but no one told you about all the birds, specifically this one, who seems to be calling out Roy. Roy. But who exactly is Roy? And why doesn't he ever respond? Maybe Roy is just bird speak for save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. I guess until Roy answers, we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.